because when you find the will of God by living the will of God, and that's the emphasis here in the text, you discover it is good, it is acceptable, and it is absolutely complete. And some of us have been fooled by the evil one. And we have bought into his way. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the applicational section of the Book of Romans. This is the section comprising chapters 12 through 16 that show us how we as Christians are to live in light of what the Apostle Paul has already written in the previous 11 chapters. We've just begun a look at the first two verses in chapter 12, and as we pick up in today's message entitled, Finding the Will of God, Pastor Brogy explains that believers are to first present themselves to God, and secondly, they are to become transformed. The most rational thing you can do in light of what God has done for you, and in light of what God is going to do for you, and in light of the glory and splendor that someday you will know fully, in light of that, present yourself to God in this manner. And not to is not to use our heads. And it's really to think in one sense that we're smarter than God. And so when you think of the fact that you are on your way to hell, and of course, more and more churches don't speak of hell, what do you need to even be saved from, a man asked me? The wrath of Almighty God. A holy anger that burns towards sin. And that's why, as we studied in Romans 3, when men and women meet God in heaven, all lost people, their mouths will be shut. They will not have a word to say when they see God in all of His holiness and greatness. No, we are to present ourselves as living and holy sacrifices, and this is the smartest, most reasonable, most logical, most intelligent thing that you can do. So the first key word in finding the will of God is the word presentation. The second word is transformation. Roman numeral two there on your outline, finding God's will demands a transformation. And there are three dimensions to this transformation that are highlighted in verse two. Three very important words that give us a negative command and a positive command, a positive plan of action. First, I learned that we are not to be molded. We are not to be molded. Let me read verse two. And do not be conformed to this world. You want to circle that word conform. That's the first key word. And interestingly, this word conformed is what we would call a, a, a verb in the passive voice. Some of you remember that from English grammar. And a passive voice when used in Greek is to emphasize that the subject is being acted upon by an outside force. And do not be conformed to this world. He's talking here about being conformed, being shaped by this age. The J.B. Phillips translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And interestingly, it's a present imperative tense, so you could render it, stop letting the world conform you. Implication, some of the people in the church at Rome were letting the world conform you. And if you do nothing, as we'll see in a second, the world will conform you. 
And he says, don't let that happen. Don't be molded by the world. Don't let the world act upon you in such a way that it begins to shape your character. Now, again, I think it's plain from the context that by the world, he does not mean the planet Earth. He does not refer to the globe or a country or an empire. But literally, it's the word ion. And if you look on the margin of some of your Bibles that have study notes, it will say age. Do not be conformed to this age, the spirit of the age, the contemporary thinking that is around you. He is telling us that the believer's worldview is not to be shaped by the unbeliever's worldview. See, there are only two models that you can shape your life after. Either the model of this age, this world, that the Bible says is under the control of the evil one, the God of this age, Satan is energizing this world system, Paul says in Ephesians, or we can be transformed by God's word. And if you study the scripture carefully, you will discover that there are four major areas in which the world will try to shape you into its likeness. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Fortune says get rich, get as much as you can, as fast as you can, and then can it all up. Fame says make a name for yourself. Become well-known, become well-liked. And if you can become a person of notoriety, then you can intimidate people. Power says take control over people. Use your influence to manipulate them, to intimidate them. And pleasure says if it feels good, do it. That's the world system. And God warned us against it. So ask yourself, what does this generation think like? And am I being shaped by the generational thinking of our day? We happen to live in a generation that tolerates everything, believes nothing, cares about very little of anything of importance. And many Christians are being sucked into that way of life. Do not be conformed by the spirit of this age. And very often the path of least resistance is the spirit of this age. It's so easy to fall into the spirit of this age. And God says, don't, don't let that happen to you. Demas forgot this. He was caught up by, Paul says, the spirit of the age. He wasn't lost. You'll meet him in heaven. But he did not, to the end, fight the good fight. In Galatians 1.4, he speaks of the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present age. Ion, some translation said, from this present evil world or age. Same word. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. I hope you don't love philosophy because God says the philosophies of this world are foolishness to him. And typically people, Christians that I see who get sucked into the philosophical spirit of the ages past or the current age always end up on the wrong path. Let no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the age or world. Same word, rather than according to Christ. So don't underestimate the power of the age, especially through peer pressure. I was speaking to a young man this week, and I said, you're going to a school where there's a broad-based homosexual community there in Boston. Guard yourself. 
stand strong. Love those people, but do not give an inch because this has absolutely nothing to do with a minority status. It has everything to do with morality. This means you need to be prepared to say no. You need to say no to secular thinking and yes to spiritual thinking. So be on your guard. Do not be conformed. That's the first word you should have circled, conformed. We're not to be molded. The second word is transformed. We are, point B, to be remolded. We are to be remolded. Let me read a little bit further into verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's an alternative to being conformed, and it's that of being transformed. But by the way, it can never happen if you haven't presented yourself to God. You say, well, I did that way back yonder, but you've compromised along the way. And some of you need to present yourself to God all over again. And he really can't transform your thinking if you haven't made that presentation. If you're not clean and in the center of God's will, God typically will show you nothing new if you're not obeying what he's already shown you. Again, the Phillips translation paraphrases it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. The word here for transformation is metamorpho. It's the Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis from. And a metamorphosis speaks of a change not from without, but from within. And the Greek word implies, because it's a present imperative, really an exclamation point after each of these commands, don't do this, but do this. Don't think this way, think this way. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. So what is a metamorphosis? Well, you've witnessed it in the insect world. You see a chrysalis turn into a beautiful butterfly. What is the nature of a caterpillar? The nature of a caterpillar is that of a butterfly. The same word, by the way, is used there on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the Lord Jesus is up there with Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah, and the scripture says he was transformed and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. From the inside out, they got a glimpse of his inner Shekinah glory. Moses had a metamorphosis of sorts when he went up on the mountain for 40 days in the presence of God and he came down and from the inside out, his face was shining. Stephen, that great preaching deacon, In the book of Acts, his face shone, the Bible says, like the face of an angel. And there's coming a day when our metamorphosis will be totally complete. Beloved, now we are children and it has not appeared as of yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When we see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory and we'll be able to stand it in our resurrected bodies, we will be totally metamorphosized. My children had a powerful object lesson given to them by my wife when they were little kids. She went out there into the fields where we were living in Texas and she found those milkweed that had little black eggs on them and she brought them into the house and we put them in an aquarium of sorts, an open aquarium, and before long they formed into caterpillars and she found more milkweed and she fed those caterpillars and then one day they they turned into that chrysalis and my kids waited and in God's providence and sovereignty and in answer to her prayer, we were there. When that chrysalis broke open 
And I, we still have a photo of that monarch butterfly there in my son's nose like he was its mother. <laughs> it was a magnificent transformation that had taken place. And I wonder how many Christians have logged years, even decades in the faith never to break out of the cocoon of immaturity because they've not made that ongoing presentation and that continual transformation through the renewing of the mind. So the first word you circled is conformed. It comprises the negative command, do not be molded. The second word is transformed because we are to be remolded. The third word gives us the plan of action. We are to be renewed. We are to be renewed. Would you please notice he's telling us, in essence, how to break out of the cocoon, how to be transformed. So he gives us not only a negative command, he gives us a positive command, a path of action. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, although the Apostle Paul does not tell us in this verse how our minds are renewed, he does so throughout all of his epistles. And it is by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, namely the Bible. Now, certainly there's a sense in which you are born again and regeneration takes place that you are renewed from the inside out. But that's just the initial step. And that's why Paul tells Timothy in his last will and testament, if you do anything, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. And that's what I'm here to do today, not to share my own ideas, and I, and I certainly don't want to be guilty of the sloppy exegesis and even the narcissistic kind of exegesis of our day where we have all these self-centered, self-help sermons that it's all about me rather than the living God. That will fill auditoriums, but it will not change lives. Not that kind of self-centered Christianity. And so pastors are guilty today of narcissists, not exegesis. We are to preach the word because that is the instrument that God uses to change a life. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with, an all, with all wisdom. He tells that to the Colossians. He, he warns them first, don't be taken captive by the philosophies of this world. Don't give your mind and your heart and your thinking to that garbage. Rather, he says, give your heart and your mind to the word of God that will richly dwell within you. Let it take up residency. Open your mind and your heart to those kinds of things. So we're learning this morning that finding the will of God involves a presentation. It demands a transformation. Third, finding God's will yields a realization. It yields a realization. Notice verse 2 again. Let me read the entire verse now. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So negatively, don't be conformed. Positively, be transformed in order that or so that you can prove the will of God. The word prove is the word dakimazo that means to accept as approved after you've tested it. It means to determine in the laboratory of life precisely what God's will is. And he tells us what it is with three words. But again, to arrive at this conclusion that God's will is pure and pleasing and perfect, it doesn't happen automatically. There must be that initial and that repeated presentation to God. There must be that commitment not to be shaped, but to be reshaped. And what do you find? You find 
something that you prove to be true. And so he describes three characteristics of the will of God that the Christian ends up in, an ex- in his experience coming to know. First, you discover God's will to be good. It is good. The will of God is described here in verse 2 as good. Why? Because God would never do anything that was not for your good. And only a renewed mind can perceive the will of God as good because sometimes it seems like anything but good. I did a funeral last week for a Green Beret who came home from Afghanistan in a box. My son came home in full health. And I was trying to help those parents to know God's will is still good. Tell that to Joseph. When he is living a sexually pure life, and he's put in prison for being a sexual predator, a sex offender. He's accused of rape. But he knows the will of God is good because he's proved it over and over and over again. Do you know that? And so God uses him to preserve a nation. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Not only is the will of God good, when you are in the center of God's will, you will find it to be acceptable. Acceptable. You could translate it pleasing or even well-pleasing. For the growing, maturing Christian, the will of God is well-pleasing. It's acceptable. It's a good thing. Abraham knew the will of God to be acceptable when God asked him to take his uniquely born son and in that respect, his only son because he was the son of promise and to sacrifice him there on Mount Moriah. But he was willing to do that because he knew the will of God by experience over and over and over again to be acceptable. His commandments, again, are not burdensome. Third, you will discover the will of God is perfect. Now, there are several words that are translated from the Greek language into English as perfect. There's the word akribos. We get our word accurate from it. Sometimes that's translated perfect. There's the word katarizo, which uh, is a word that means well-fitted to a specific end, like finding just the perfect piece of the puzzle and it fits in just right. That's the word picture behind it. And then there's the word that's used here. It's the word teleos. Complete, without any lack. In fact, the Lord Jesus is described with this word because he was not lacking in any respect. And again, it is only the life that has been presented, the life that has chosen to be a holy and living sacrifice, not conformed but transformed, that can find the will of God to be absolutely complete. And some people reach the end of their lives and they are disappointed. They come to the end of their life and they're disappointed. I've stood with some of them in their homes and in hospital beds. And they're still conversive. And they told, they're disappointed with their lives. Why? Because they did not find the will of God. Because when you find the will of God by living the will of God, and that's the emphasis here in the text, you discover it is good, it is acceptable, and it is absolutely complete. 
and some of us have been fooled by the evil one. And we have bought into his way. And you're always looking, even as a saved person, to fill that void, to get this right, to get that right. And it never works because you haven't made this presentation and allowed this transformation to bring about a realization that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me close with a couple of applications. Number one, I learned from this passage that the will of God is not a matter of revelation, it's a matter of resignation. It's not so much a matter of revelation, finding the will of God, it's more an issue of resignation. It's not walking down the road looking for some big flash in your mind, some sudden awareness, here's God's will for my life. No, it's better to think of it as walking through life in a surrendered way and dependent upon the Lord, using the Word of God for your standard. And so it's not so much a flash of revelation as it is a shaping, a reformation. It's a relationship with the Lord. And again, we have to choose to present our bodies for that to be a reality. Second, the will of God is not found in a place. It is found in a person. It's not found in a place. It's found in a person. When my children were small, sometimes on long car rides, we'd play that game, I spy. And sometimes people think the will of God is like the game of I spy. You know, if they're really clever, they hear some angel, you're getting closer or you're far away. No, it would probably be more like the children's game, follow the leader. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found in a place, it's found in a relationship, it's found in someone whom you love because he first loved you and you are so overwhelmed by the mercies of God, you've given yourself completely to him. I remember hearing this story many, many, many years ago of two young men who were both gifted singers, one a tenor, the other a deep baritone, and they did a radio show together, Christian radio show. Before long, their talent was spotted, and these record companies came and offered them a lucrative career. And the tenor said, I'll take it. I don't even remember his name. I was trying to remember. I don't even remember the guy's name. The baritone said, no, that's not God's will for my life. And he chose to sing for Jesus Christ. And he sang until he was 104, George Beverly Shea. In the song that summed up his life so much that he would repeatedly sing at those Billy Graham crusades, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Have you ever met Christ as Lord and Savior? If you have, you can't even begin to enter into this plan. As I told a man yesterday, I said, until you come to that place of assurance, you can't even begin to grow until you know that heaven is definitely yours. But if you have, 
are you today, could your life be described today as a living and a holy sacrifice? Are you choosing not to be shaped by this world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind? Have you found the will of God in your life to be the most satisfying thing that you can know? Something that is good and acceptable and perfect such that the world's appeal loses more and more and more of its appeal with every year that goes by. I don't want you as your pastor to come, for you to come to the end of your life and for you to be dissatisfied. And I don't know how much time you have left. Maybe you're an old man listening to me today. The time you have left can be right if Christ is first. Let's bow together in prayer. If you've never received Christ, that's your first step. And if you're not sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven, if it's kind of, well, I think I would, I hope I would, then my friend on the authority of Scripture, I can tell you, you won't. Because you've never rested and trusted in the finished work of God. The mercies shown to you there on the cross of Calvary. God asks you to come in total spiritual bankruptcy today. To trust that what Jesus did by his death and resurrection. What the Bible calls the gospel. The power of God to save you. He asks you to come through the cross. There is no other way to the Father but through him. Would you in simple childlike faith say, Lord Jesus. Based on what you've done being the object of wrath for my sin. I trust you to save me and to change me. Now, some of you have done that. And like some Corinthian believers, and even like some there in the church at Rome, the world is winning out in your life today. Oh, you may not be some adulterous and drunkard, but neither are you being shaped and used and invested in the kingdom of God. And I wonder today if you would say, here I am, Lord. All of me, it's yours. Would you tell him that? And would you begin to take steps this week, not to be conformed, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind? That's going to presuppose you're going to be in the word of God this week. Some of you, you've got some values that you think are so cool. And you think you're a liberated Christian, but God is so displeased and you've never even asked him. Would you do that? Would you say, God, if there's some area of my life that you are not pleased with, that the world has shaped, I'm willing to lay it aside. Now, our Father, we want to see that metamorphosis more and more that men might see our good works and glorify you who are in heaven. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message in its entirety from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, entitled, Finding the Will of God, use the Search the Scriptures app, available on the iTunes Store and Google Play Store. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or call us at 877-787-7478 and request a CD or DVD copy. Just ask for program ROM57. You can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling us at that number, 877-787-7478, or give online at searchthescriptures.org, or click the Give button in the Search the Scriptures app. 
Your generous donation plays a role in providing biblical teaching and in helping to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow, we begin to unwrap our spiritual gifts. Join us then as we search the scriptures.